Welcome to episode 369 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I am Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Welcome to you to episode 369, which I think we're contractually obligated to say is into the breach in a way. So if people are just joining us, maybe for the first time, well, welcome to you. How are you doing? And I would say to you, we've just come through this long, years long, actually, epic quest to go through theology, kind of our own take on systematic theology and conversations related to and that all just happened. Like maybe you just joined. You're like, what happened? That just happened. And so maybe you want to go into the back catalog and just kind of hang out there for a little while like we did for a couple of years. But this now is kind of crossing the Rubicon into – it's a territory we've been in before. We're going to go week to week and talk about some topics. So I say this at the top to one, advertise where we've been, and you should check that out. We wholeheartedly give it the definitive stamp of approval that you will need no other systematic theology other than me and Tony talking. <laughs> and that is sarcasm, loved ones. But the second thing is, if you've got topic ideas, again, like something that's on your mind, or you thought, you know what, I'd like to hear somebody other than my own voice talk about this. Here's what you do. You just go to, well, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com and, and find a way to email us or just info at reformbrotherhood.com from any place where you can send an email and shoot us a topic or a new series or something that you'd like to chat about. But this one's going to be different. And because it's one-off, and one-off doesn't mean subpar. Can we say that? Like, there's, we're going to talk about some good things, I think. We're going to be talking about pop culture and the Christian's place in pop culture, entries into pop culture from a Christian perspective, but not in a cliche way, especially as it relates to this upcoming season that we find ourselves in, which is the holidays. So no matter how you feel about the holidays as a Christian or just as a person in general, we're going to have a little conversation about that. And not just like the holidays from a Christian perspective, although that could be valuable and important in its own right, but more, what does it mean to effectively understand them, to interface with them, to celebrate and enjoy them in a way that brings glory to God and in a way that promotes really good conversation about how we are enjoying them and why we are enjoying them. That's all to come. But the one thing that hasn't changed, I was going to say in like 369 episodes, but I, don't, I forget when we started the affirmations and denials, but it keeps going, can't stop, won't stop. Let's go with some affirmations. What are you affirming with on this, the 369th episode? So this is kind of like a, a follow-up affirmation or like a, a built-upon affirmation. So I don't remember where it was. Uh, somewhere along the line, I affirmed Notion, which is a online uh, I don't even know what you would call it. It's not just a note-taking application. It's like a it's like an everything application. You can make databases, you can do documents, you can build a web page. But they've added a feature called uh, Notion Q and A. Um, they say it's in beta, but that seems to be like the Vogue thing these days is to say something is in beta when it's just perpetually in beta. Like I think Gmail after like 15 years, just left beta, if it even has. Um, Google Maps, I think, is still technically in beta. Um, what Notion AI is, is kind of, uh, well, Notion AI is uh, a module built into Notion. So Notion is a free platform. You can just sign up for it. Um, you pay a, not a small fee every month, but a, a reasonable fee every month to have access to the AI features. And what Notion uh, Q&A is, is it's taking sort of the conversational approach that ChatGPT is famous for. But what the big difference between this and just the, the sort of um, vanilla uh, AI that's built into Notion, if you have the subscription, is you ask Notion Q&A a question, and actually it will look at all of the information that you have in your Notion account, all of the different, anything you have access to. So like Notion, what one thing people do with Notion is they have like personal knowledge man management wikis. Um, I have all of our episodes since I started using Notion to do this. I do like all of the episode summaries and the titles 
they're all built on Notion AI looking at our tr the transcript of our of our conversation and generating some options for titles and a summary that I then go in and kind of tweak and modify a little bit. What Notion uh, Q and A will do is you can ask it a question and it will look at all of the content you have access to in Notion. And it will use that to answer the question. So if you are using Notion, for example, uh, to make a Zettelkasten, which is something we've talked about several times here. If you're using Notion to make a Zettelkasten and you ask a question to this, you know, what, what is the orthodox position on um, the extra Calvinisticum, right? It's going to look at all of your different notes and everything you have in in Notion AI, in addition to um, just generally what it's been trained on, and it's going to produce an answer. And the beautiful thing about it is it's actually going to show you, it's going to almost like footnote the answer to show you where in your Notion collection, it's not even accurate to call it a database, your Notion collection, where it's drawing that information from. So it's a super, super powerful thing, especially if you're using Notion as like a comprehensive like knowledge management or knowledge, personal knowledge management database. It's a super powerful feature. So you have to have Notion AI and you have to have a fair amount of data built up in here. But for example, I can ask it, what's the primary theme of the Reform Brotherhood podcast. And it's gonna look at every episode, every transcript of the podcast going back to episode 341. So we're talking about 20, uh, 28 episodes and it's gonna pull out what they what it is able to determine is the primary theme of the show from there. Or I can say, what's the most common phrase used on the Reform Brotherhood podcast? The obvious answer is gonna be love everyone or honor everyone, love the brotherhood because we say that on every episode. But it, it's a super powerful tool, especially if you've already been using Notion AI, you've already been using Notion to build up this sort of like critical mass of notes. So I, I think you should check it out. I think you can get a free trial. And so it's like a, a certain number of queries, you can get a free trial of Notion AI um, to utilize. And I believe that if you have that free trial that this Q&A feature is available as well. But it's super, super cool. We're living in the future, loved ones. It's true. Here we are. And it's we're true. coming in hot on the top of this episode with some nerdy AI talk again. But yeah, you know, everybody knows we're down with whatever helps us to process and synthesize information so that you can actually use it, think about it, create your own ideas off of it better. So it's kind of like outsourcing. We talked a lot about second brain, third brain, like outsourcing all of that processing so that you can really enjoy some great analytics on the stuff that you're trying to process. Yeah. Yeah. So just for example, I just asked it what Jesse's favorite phrase is. And it says, I could not find an exact answer to your question in the search results. The transcript from the Reformed Brotherhood episode suggests a few repeated phrases, but it's unclear which one is Jesse's favorite. So like you have to kind of like help it along. So if I say what phrases does Jesse say the most? Yeah, I'm curious myself. Let's see what AI says about me. <laughs> Jesse often says, I'm Jesse <laughs> during the introduction and hey, brother, in conversation. He also seems to use the phrase, I'm just doubling down frequently. There are these are just a few examples that may not represent all frequently used phrases. So I mean it's it's a cool, it's a cool not utility. Wrong. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have to um you have to import, you have to like put a fair amount of information in here for it to be useful. If you don't have a lot of notes built up or anything like that, it's not useful. One thing that I do think is cool that's worth mentioning. Um, one of the things that's a concern with AI models is where Where's the data coming from and what's the data being used for? Notion does not train any of their AI models on user data. So the information you put in and the the prompts you supply, the, the information generated, I'm sure, I mean, it's obviously being stored on their databases because you're storing it on their databases, but they're not scraping that data and utilizing it to train their AI or anything. So as far as data goes, it's as safe as it really can be. I mean, that's not particularly safe in this day and age. You obviously don't want to be like, putting your passwords and your social security number into a public online database. But as, if you're worried about like the government reading your notion notes, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Yeah. And which is helpful. Again, the, the one of the things you got to watch out for is especially if you're getting something free is you might be the product itself. So right. it might be, there are lots of AI models that are taking all this information, using it to train and better equip their models so you always want to keep all that, especially, and just give this warning, and I think we talked about this before, if you use some of these softwares 
from a professional standpoint, be careful about the standards that your own profession has about sharing information and whether you or not you might be contravening those rules by using something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, what are you affirming today? Mine's easy, really simple, straightforward. My wife is a runner and she's for the longest time. She loves reflective running items. I have basically eschewed those items. I don't know why. I don't run often in the dark, but when I do, for some reason, there's something within me, perhaps it is just sin, that resists putting on reflective things. And I have to admit, I came across something that she sent me and it's like super awesome. And also with the best of reflective things, super obnoxious. There is like a Venn diagram there, like the pure obnoxious and useful and productive in great utility. And the overlap there is this product from a company called Rabbit. They make like running stuff. This is not inexpensive, loved ones. This is um, kind of pricey, but they've just released a new product. It's called, it's like their low light series and there's like a jacket or a top and there's various iterations of pants. Here's the beauty of this thing though. It's black to start with. And when there's not light shining directly on it, it just looks like an interwoven pattern in the background. But when light hits this bad boy, it looks like suddenly you're a character in Tron, like to an extent, like an extreme degree. So it's kind of super cool. But also like if you saw somebody, if you were driving your car early in the morning or late in the evening and you saw a figure running towards you in this outfit, I think you would freak out and think that you are in Tron. So if you're looking for some reason for super reflective clothing, either for walking or exercise, any kind of thing you're doing outside, or you just want to freak somebody out in your own home, this is the thing to purchase. It's the low light series by Rabbit. They make a lot of great clothing, but uh, this is just like a super fun and weird thing. Like I've learned to appreciate how like reflective stuff is kind of fun, but probably in the normal course of life, you don't get to use it. So when you're in an actual instance that you can use it, it's it's super fun. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't really run enough anymore. It gets too cold in the morning now to run and I don't have time. But yeah, I'm looking at the website here and I can kind of see what you're talking about. It's like, uh, yeah, it's it's like you become a video game character. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, exactly. It's And the, the beauty of this is the stark juxtaposition to when there's no direct light, when there's no beam on this clothing, it just looks like yeah. unassuming attire. Once you get the light on it, it's like, my word, like you are right there. So I think like, I have this um, debate with my wife that some of the great running attire that she has is either reflective or she has what I call the party lights vest. I think we talked about this before. Yeah. It's like a strobe light vest that goes over you. And uh, sometimes she will precondition my running on me wearing this. And I said to her, I have this hypothesis though, that sometimes when you put this running light vest on and you've got these like flashing strobe party lights going on all around your body, that actually I can tell that if a car is approaching me and they see this, there's like a moment where they're like, what is that? Yeah. Because it's just so shocking. So maybe it doesn't matter because it gets the person's attention and it makes them aware that something's coming towards them. But I often said to her, what happens if like I actually get struck because this person is trying to figure out what is going on in the world and the like the excessive nature of the reflectiveness in the light show is actually a distraction in the opposite direction that makes things more unsafe than like simply like a headlight or something like that. But they're like, is that a Christmas tree? I better run directly into it. <laughs> That's the thought process that must be going on in their head for that scenario to, to play out. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about some rave style, like flashing, uh, party, uh, party lights is all I can describe it as. It's it's exceptional. But you do kind of feel cool, I'll be honest, sometimes when like you're running through a neighborhood and I see somebody like walking a dog and they're trying to figure out what is coming down the street <laughs> towards them because it doesn't really follow the outline of your body all the time. Right. It's, it's just kind of like, wow, that is a lot of lights. And this time of year, it's even more fun because you know people have like all this lawn ornamentation and yeah. lights out perhaps. And then there's like this weird moving object that's coming towards them. And they're trying to discern like, should I just go inside right now? What is that thing? So <laughs> it's fun. It's not right. But if you're looking for reflecting reflective clothing, that's like super fun. And it's going to make you, yeah, feel like a video game character. Uh, this is it. Like, so. Is that a Christmas tree end walking <laughs> towards me? Now, what would a Christmas tree ends name be? I mean, with like tree beard, 
I don't know. It'd be tree like beard, that's good. It'd be like well, Treebeard is the is the yes. character from Lord of the Rings, but the Christmas like, tree version would be like I don't know, Monument of Idolatry. That's a so, deep cut. That's a deep. Cut. That's a deep cut for my Covenanter friends. Deep cut, yeah. Some something something like that. Well, speaking of that, uh, well, not that per se. Let's get into some denials. What are you denying? Jesse thinks I'm denying Covenanters. Apparently, <laughs> uh, this is going to seem a little a little bit weird, uh, and I'm mostly. I'm mostly just using this as a launching pad to sort of rail against a personal pet peeve of mine. There's this okay. new podcast that I've been hearing about. So I listened to a, a news podcast called The Pour Over, which we talked about before. It's kind of a uh, Christian-flavored, uh, pardon the pun since it's got the coffee pun, but it's like a Christian news program, and they try to be impartial, and then they flavor in like, Bible verses about like not it's commonly like here's a story about all the tragedy in the world and it's like don't forget Christ has overcome the world like that's the that's the script for every episode these days because the world is terrible but they've started uh they've started publicizing a new podcast I don't know if they make it or if they're just publicizing it called compelled it's called the compelled podcast and this is the tagline real christians remarkable stories compelled podcast uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. So I'm denying this podcast only for a launching pad to, to rail on something a little bit. You're not hearing the, on this podcast, you're not hearing people who are like, uh, yeah, you know, I was, I don't know, I was born into a Christian family and I was baptized like as an infant and I've just always known the Lord Jesus and I've just always trusted him and he's always been faithful to me. Like you're not hearing that testimony. You're not hearing like Polycarp being like, I've followed him for 86 years. He's never let me down. What you're hearing is like, I was a drug dealer and I shot a bunch of people. And then I found a Bible on a bench and it said, you know, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Or like, here's a couple of the, um, couple of the episodes, the final heist from criminal to Christ, Tyrone Summerall, or my marriage was crumbling. Barbara Mula. Hope for the porn addicted pastor Garrett Kell. So, like, I, I, I haven't listened to this podcast. Full disclosure, but there's a. I think you and I have talked about this a little bit on the show. There's like this this drive in evangelicalism for like sensational testimonies. Like, I can remember going to conferences when I was a teenager, um, and even like in in my early twenties, going to these like big conference rallies. And they would almost always have somebody come up who was like, I was a gangbanger, you know, and I was, I was in this gang and I had shot 50 people. And then one day the Lord called me and I just haven't shot anybody since. And there's this drive to have these sensationalized testimonies. And that undercuts the fact that most Christians now and throughout the history of the church have a really boring testimony on that, on that, like on that, uh, rubric, right? Most Christians throughout history were born into Christian families and they were raised, uh, without any sort of understanding that, uh, that the Lord was not their God. And this isn't just my like Presbyterianism coming out, although I think that's a factor in it. Even most Baptists, I mean, I think this is more or less is your testimony. We haven't ever done our own testimonies on the show. Maybe that's a future episode, but like, this is more or less your testimony, right? You're born into a Christian family. Your dad's a pastor. You were raised, um, you were raised going to church, worshiping the Lord. You were expected to participate in the life of the church. You were expected to worship with the saints and pray with the saints. And you were expected to follow and obey the law. And, and there was never, never a drastic time like you didn't know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can remember real distinctly in, in, I think I was probably in college, but I it was very early in college. I was sitting in, in the driveway. I can remember this, my friend, Tim, who was also the best man in my wedding. My friend, Tim had this like weird gold colored Astro van. Um, and I remember sitting in the, in the driveway and being frustrated and telling him that I, I wish I had his testimony because I came to faith as a teenager. So like, still early in life, but I came to faith as a teenager. And I, I remember not understanding basic things about Christianity. Um, I remember not knowing words that everybody else seemed to know. Um, I remember not experiencing things that everybody else seemed to experience. 
And he said to me like, well, I wish I had your testimony because mine's so boring. And I remember saying, Tim, your, your testimony is something that everybody should want for their kids. So I, I'm gun shy of these kinds of like sensationalized testimonies. And this podcast is basically like, listen to all of these sensationalized testimonies. Um, no shade against people who made this. I'm sure this is a very encouraging podcast. Um, I haven't listened to it. I probably won't. But I think we should just be really cautious with this kind of thing. Like the ordinary means of grace are meant to be ordinary. And that involves, that means that most people's testimonies, because they come to faith through these ordinary means, are going to be pretty ordinary and boring. Yeah, the miracle of salvation is any regenerated heart. It's not the circumstances temporarily from which that heart was converted by God's grace. So by that measure, I think sometimes what we see in here is like a paucity of theology. It's, of course, like there's nothing wrong with celebrating those who have been brought from darkness to life. Right. However, that degree is equalized in understanding that we are all sinful, that the seeds to sin are sown in all of our hearts. The degree to which they germinate is more or less God's superintending will over our lives. And he brings glory in each of us when he saves his children. That's the standard. It's yeah. just that saving act. So I was recently speaking with a beloved sister in Christ who is much older than I. And she was talking about this and saying, like, it, it's such a blessing to have never known a time without Jesus. And so, like, that testimony is equally strong because it's all about God intervening by his grace to save us. That is the miracle. We just kind of, like, misplace the miracle slightly yeah. when we emphasize. And again, I'm not saying it's not wrong to celebrate those things, but then we should equally celebrate the fact that there are parents who made it their prerogative to raise their children in the Lord diligently with great discipline from the very beginning and with great effort and volition day after day after day to live out and to preach and to speak those principles into their lives. That also is a great testimony because what it does is it affirms that God does all the verbs no matter when or where or how he does them. Yeah. And that again, that saving act, him reaching down and changing the will, that's actually the miracle no matter what happened before then, whether the before then was just being born or before then was all this like litany of things like in our temporal structure in our world, like that we would consider to be like extreme and dramatic and illegal and voracious. Like it doesn't matter. The miracle is what God has done. So you're right. I, I get that. I think sometimes we just tend to get fixated on the wrong things. You know, that reminds me that I think about, right, do you know who, Brian Welch's, is that name ring a bell to you at all? Does not. Is that the guy okay. that owns the Welch grape juice? <laughs> the, the heir to the Welch. Yeah, region? different, uh, different Welch. So like Brian, like <laughs> head, quote unquote, head Welch. Oh, yeah, yeah. From, uh, is it from corn or whatever? You got it. Yes, yes, yes. So, so he's a dude, of course, that like often gets lifted up in a certain like kind of the medical, the medical, metal music scene. <laughs> I don't know what medical music is. It's, it's probably like the elevator music you hear while you're waiting in your doctor's office. It's like the slow jam I feel like 70s. Music is a new genre that you and I need to invent. We have the probably. right skill set, I think. It's like the easy listening. So like you're chill before you go into the doctor. Yeah. So he's often lifted up as like, you know, see, here's a dramatic conversion in that music scene. And I saw like he was recently, we've talked about this band, like Holy Name has released some stuff recently. He's in one of the videos and he's, he's often spoken about, he's outspoken about his faith. And, and that's great. But here's what I would say. Like, what about all the other people in that music scene right. who were born and raised in Christian households? And like the music that's come out of them has been as a result of that upbringing, that consistent, again, like disciplined upbringing to bring and honor all the New Testament in the life of the family. And they're writing music out of that. It's it's equaled in my mind too. So I think just like you're saying, there's like this lifted upness sometimes of that. And again, I'm saying we ought to celebrate. Well, let's celebrate all. Let's celebrate all testimonies. Let's not, let's make sure that we don't create an environment where there's like JV and varsity kind of testimonies. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if we feel that way, then we ought to be convicted ourselves that that's incorrect because we need to celebrate God doing the saving. In other words, like sin is so prolific and the reformed tradition tells us this total depravity is to such a magnitude and agree, not that as bad as we could be, but that that depravity is so pervasive that nobody's seeking God. So whether the baby, so to speak, is saved by way of the family that they're brought into in the teaching that God does and the bringing about of the scriptures and the hearing of the word, or whether it happens, as you said, by somebody who's create who's complicit in all these illegal or illicit acts of you know kind of great tragedy and just epic extreme that they find the scriptures and are converted is it not god doing the converting in every way yeah. 
And is it not dramatic that he can change the human heart to such a degree that it wants to seek after him, that it acknowledges him, that it surrenders to him? It's that surrender to me that is like so dramatic and epic that that's where the miracle lies. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, maybe I'll close this with, with just a, a personal story. So when, when I was 15 is when I came to faith. We should do an episode soon. That's like our own kind of our own faith history and, and testimony. It's funny. Most, most podcasts do that as like the first episode and we're like 370 episodes in and we still haven't shared our own personal testimonies. But when I was 15, I came to faith in a, a, ma- a Lutheran mega church. And so I was part of the confirmation program. And part of what we had to do in confirmation was we had to do a night of testimony in order to be confirmed. And this goes back to like historic Lutheran confirmation practices where you had to testify before the church. So it was it was rooted in the tradition. And my name being Antonio Arsenal and my my small group leader's name being Jeffrey Berg, I was the very first person to go. There was like 700 kids in our our um, confirmation program. And so I my I was first and I had this testimony of like, well, I was I was born kind of in the church, and then we walked away from the faith, and then God, God just saved me almost without me realizing it. He con- He converted me, and and I made this commitment to Him. I didn't even understand what it was, and He He held me to it. Right? It was actually a very a very Calvinistic testimony in a Lutheran church, which was interesting. And I remember when I got done sharing my testimony, the 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 pastor was serving or the youth pastor was serving as kind of like an MC. He would do like a brief introduction. And he said something like, wow, that's going to be a hard act to follow. And the next guy who came up, his name was Mike Brennan. He was also in my small group. So I knew him pretty well. He he came up and his testimony was, uh, it was just, I don't know. I was raised in the church. Like I was born in the church and I was raised in the church. I was baptized as a baby. And, and I've just, I've always been a Christian as far as I can remember. And that's, then that's my testimony. Right. And and so I remember then after he got done, there was no commentary from the from the youth pastor about mm. his testimony. There was no there was no like, wow, that's a hard act to follow or anything like that. Right. And there was this like subtle, and maybe not even so subtle, there was this JV testimony, right? There was the kids that had a story, and then there was the kids that didn't have a story. There was the kids that had some sort of conversion experience they could point to. Right, I can tell you it was January 23rd, 1998. It was around 8 p.m. I can tell you exactly what was going on when when God uh, called me and when I responded to his call. I can tell you exactly what was going on. I can tell you the smells. I can tell you the sounds. I can tell you who I was sitting next to. Right, I know all of those details. That's not the typical story for most Christians. Most Christians go, I, I, I don't know. Like Obviously, at some point, God took my heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, but I'm not even sure when that happened. I would submit that is a far more beautiful testimony than the guy who is living a life of, of known rebellion and sin, who remembers a time when he was far from the Lord Jesus Christ, remembers a time when he was the Lord Jesus Christ's enemy. Right, it is a far more beautiful testimony. Let me let me put it this way: it's a little bit of a strange way to say it. Timothy's testimony is better, in a certain sense, than Paul's. Right? Timothy doesn't ever have to look back on his life and be and say, "I was the chief of sinners. I was persecuting the church. I was dragging them before the Sanhedrin. I was the murderer. I was sitting there holding the jackets when the the Jews stoned Stephen to death." Like Timothy never has to say that. Timothy says like, yeah, my grandparent, my grandma and my mom taught me the scriptures and I just remember the scriptures. And that's, that's my testimony. Like I was Jewish uh, and I loved God. And then, you know, the scriptures came alive to me and it was clear from Paul's teaching, from the teaching of the apostles, it was clear that the promised Messiah, the promised seed crusher was Jesus Christ. And he lives in me and he's always, he's always been there for me. Right. Polycarp's testimony that like, I've been following the Lord. If you read Polycarp's testimony, he says he's probably 86 or so when he in his in his mid 80s when he's writing, uh, when he's martyred. And before he's martyred, he says, like, I've been following the Lord for 80 years and he's never done me wrong and he's not going to start now. That means he's he's saying, I never remember a time. I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't following the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just think we should be careful 
that is not to um not to undercut those people who have remarkable testimonies. Like right. the, the Lord does work in remarkable ways and we should celebrate those, but we shouldn't elevate those above the people who have the better portion to maybe steal some language from like the Mary Martha thing. Like the better portion is to have always sat at the Lord's feet to always remember a time when you love the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to check out this podcast, go ahead. I don't know. I haven't listened to it. It got six, six seasons. It's not a new podcast. I'm sure there's some really interesting stuff. I'm sure it's encouraging. I'm sure that God has done some amazing things and has done some, but I guess that even like that phrase, like God has done some amazing things. Like God has done amazing things in Jesse's life who was born into a Christian household. That's an amazing thing. And I would actually submit that's almost more of an amazing thing to protect and preserve the seed of God's people than it is to like pull them back from the brink. Yeah. I don't know. They're just all remarkable. Can we just say that? They're all remarkable. When we judge them, we're not judging them as God would judge them. And we should leave it alone. They're all remarkable. So celebrate them all. And I understand that that podcast is probably trying to draw forward some to bring encouragement to people and to show yeah. the great power of God. But the great power of God is not to change temporal circumstance, it's to change the heart. And when it does or adult, to me, it's just remarkable. And I believe the scripture teaches that. Yep. So you've been eventually triggered. Yeah. So, Jesse, what are you denying today? Keep it really, really brief. I'm just going back to what AI would say. I say all the time, I'm doubling down on a previous (laughs) denial. I'm just denying handedness bias. And sometimes I just found it creep up in another place today. So listeners will know that I, well, maybe they won't know. That presumes too much. Not I could drive by my place with your lights off trying to stalk me. I am left-handed. I use a left-handed mouse. I've set up my, at work, my Microsoft-oriented PC to understand that I'm left-handed. The computer and I have been lots of settings about this. But here's what I discovered recently is that setting apparently, apparently only exists, of course, like, and I should have known this, like in my user profile, such that if uh, PC users will understand this, if you reset your computer and you're in that splash screen where like you haven't yet signed in, I had this happen to me this week, and I was trying then to go to the lower right-hand corner where there's like the power button. So you can select like, I'd restarted it and then I need to shut it down. I wasn't going to sign in. It was just in the splash screen. It would not respect my left-handed mouse. I had to reverse <laughs> the the clicks to get to work. And I was like, how dare you? So really, you really you don't respect my left-handedness. And I, I'm, I'm looking at you, Bill Gates. Like, really, you don't. This was just all a sham. Like, it's in my own profile. I can't really change it at the operating level. And that's kind of how I feel about the world. So that's just me as an old man shaking my left-handed fist at the world saying, how dare you? That's pretty funny. I, I want to, this This is going to throw Notion AI off. But since you mentioned Notion, thinking of your specific phrases, I said, characterize Jesse's personality. <laughs> oh my Goodness. This this is actually kind of scary. Oh Maybe this is like a benefit that our personalities actually come Ooh. through the podcast because this is Let's what it, it says. And I will say, for someone who knows Jesse quite well, it says, Jesse appears to be a thoughtful and deep thinker as shown by his extensive discussions on theological topics. He also seems to have a creative, fun side as he enjoys self-expression, even in small details like choosing eyeglasses. Additionally, he seems to be grounded, not caring much about his outer appearance as indicated by his casual approach to his beard. So there you have it, folks. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. It's the last part that got me. I so, know. Like if, if Jen were here right now, uh, who's my wife, she would be like, yeah, it's a little bit too casual. <laughs> That's a conversation that happens every year sometime at Christmas where mom tries to convince you to trim your beard. There's a whole discussion that ensues. Usually your wife is chiming in and she's like, if I was up to me, he would trim his beard. And I'm like, his beard is glorious. Don't touch it. So (laughs) it's glorious. I, for one, welcome our AI overlords. So Exactly. Loved ones where we're living in the future. Speaking of the world that we're we're living in and and you and I, (laughs) 
debates very quickly whether this should just be an affirmation style episode, which <laughs> it's quickly becoming anyway. But let's talk quickly about culture, which, as I thought about it now, as I'm about to intro the topic in earnest, this could be its own series. It's true. Uh, but let's let's talk really quick about culture and try to tie this into the season that's ahead of us. Not like in a definitive kind of way, but like a thought-provoking kind of way. And you and I have talked about this before. Actually, it's funny that you suggested this topic and that kind of morphed as we were discussing it to lead into what's about to happen in at least Western culture with the celebration of Christmas is recently I was running and I was thinking about at least an acquaintance of mine, maybe a friend of yours, maybe more acquaintance for both of us. I was thinking about you know this application. This particular person had this application of both Sabbatarianism and Christmas where I remember Christmas one time fell on the Lord's Day and, and this person really decided to, even though there was like a family <laughs> gathering at his house, decide. And there, I mean, I'm not trying to trigger people, but I'm just trying to say like, this is the real stuff, loved ones. Like this is how you have the really prostitute theology. But this person having a great conviction about the Lord's Day decided that even though it was a great family gathering happening in his house, that he was going to seclude himself because he found that celebration to be unbecoming in the Lord's Day. And I know you and I have talked about that several times and, and really opposed the question, well, is that adventure missing the truth? That person get it right by really sequestering themselves more or yeah. less in a room while everybody else is celebrating while those people are asking, well, where is this person? Why, why are they not here with us? Like, you know, even though the TV was on and there was conversations happening and there was food together, was it inappropriate? And that's both like a question about Christmas and a question about culture and a question about our theology. So let me start with the, the thing that could be the whole series. And that is like, just acknowledge that there's like several views on Christianity and culture. Let me, let me just run through really quickly, and this is going to sound ridiculous that I'm going to say really quickly, and I'm going to say there's five views, but let me just drop <laughs> these out so that we can like just talk generally, and you know that we're acknowledging the fact that there are lots of views. So these are kind of like the generally agreed upon, like one might say conventional, traditional views, whatever you want to call them. I know there's more, so please don't add us. First, there's this idea of like Christ against culture. So the idea, of course, that like there's this Christians should be opposed to total separation, hostility towards culture, like Tertullian, Tolstoy, Menno Simons, if you live where I live, Mennonites, where are you at? This idea that we just, just separate. You could have then separate from that, the opposite, which is Christ and culture. So let's make sure that Christians attempt to bring Christianity into every piece of culture, yeah. regardless of our differences. We should really kind of pull down those walls and try to assimilate together. Third, Christ above the culture. So a position saying, we should really make ourselves high and lifted up. Like the fundamental questions of culture with the answer to Christian revelation are separate and distinct, but we're kind of looking down on this thing in which we understand there's many different versions of culture and really Christianity is far and transcends above those. And we might dip into them, but we have no sense in which we need to reform it. That's kind of like a Thomas Aquinas view. Some will debate with me on that. Yeah. And that's fine. You have our email address. Fourth, Christ and culture and paradox. So this idea, there's like a dualism, which stresses that like Christians belong kind of like the, to these two realms. There's the spiritual, there's the temporal. We must live in this detention, this tension of fulfilling responsibilities to both. If you're looking for the poster child for that, he nailed 95 theses to our door in Wittenberg. <laughs> so the last one, Christ like the transformer of culture. I think we actually talked about this one. Some kind of like, this is the view of like, I was going to say conservationist, but not that conversionists who attempt to convert the values and goals of secular culture into service of the kingdom of God. That's kind of Augustine, kind of Calvin, kind of John Wesley, a little bit, John Edwards thrown in there as like a sprinkle. All this to say those five views, many Christians hold many, of course, like God fearing Jesus loving Christians. And so the bottom line is we're called to understand what culture is around us and then how we interface in that in a direct with a direct and to a direct degree. So we have to do it. We're called to do it in some way. But the question is, how do we understand it? And then I think we'll get to how do we kind of apply that in the season. So let me ask you, Tony, at the outset, if I had to just give you those five and you had to pick one that was like in your mind, to your view, to your conviction, like most closest to what the scripture teaches. And I'm putting you on the spot because we have no rules now in our podcast. It's true. What what would the one be that you feel like most resonates closely to your conviction to the scripture? Yeah, I mean, just to emphasize how much we have no rules here. The so the the literal description of this episode as of right now is Reform Brotherhood 369 topic to be determined. <laughs> so so if this is the first time hearing it. The good news is I've read Niebauer's work or Niebuhr's work. Yeah, yeah, so, you know. What I'm so a lot of a lot of what Jesse is pulling from, um, and this is a classic work. Like, yes, 
is is Richard Niebauer's uh, classic work, Christ in Culture. And he identifies three categories. And then over the years, there's been these expansions of subdividing some of the other ones into um, into these. I think probably I resonate most with the Christ above culture, um, mm. which more or less um, – more or less is the two kingdoms view, right? There, there's a there's a a lot of different flavors of the two kingdoms view, um, and, and we talked about this actually in kind of like like Christian engagement with government. Like we kind of talked about it in that section, but for me, when we talk about culture broadly, it's a it's a manifest fact that there are elements of Christianity that are countercultural, and they're going to be countercultural almost no matter what culture you're in, even if you're in a so-called Christian culture, even the idea that culture can be Christian apart from the church itself is sort of, in my mind, is sort of weird and, and contrary to the scripture. So like if something is, is a Christian thing that it's governed by God's law, it's regulated by God's law and so like to talk about like Christian music, like what does God's law have to say about music in terms of like the style? Well, not, not much, like right. if anything, right now, the, the content of the lyrics, I guess maybe we could say like you, you shouldn't have like profanity and blasphemy in your, like maybe, maybe we could get there. But I think the Christ above culture view or what I think is probably more accurately just called like the, the two kingdoms view which I think is really more like the Christ in Christ in culture and paradox is that there are certain elements of Christianity. You'll find a lot of this in like um, Tim Keller kind of theology, which listeners of the show might be surprised that I resonate with Keller on this, but Tim Keller, but Tim Keller really drawing on people like Bob Inc. And um, my brain just left me Kuiper, like drawing on that sort of two spheres um, theology the idea that there are certain elements of Christianity that are rooted in the way that God has created the world, sort of like positive, not, not positive law, but natural law. There are certain things that are just good and right and proper because of the way that God has created the universe, right? The, the nuclear family, what we, what we call the nuclear family in Western culture. But like the idea that the, a properly ordered family consists of a mother and a father and the children that they've they've um, sired and begotten. And, and that is the properly ordered family and any disruption to that, whether it's through divorce or through um, adultery or other sort of like in our culture, like other arrangements of the family that involve two, two men or two women or whatever, that's natural law. Like a man and a woman come together, they make a child and that, that three part reality is the natural order of things. That is, that's that's a natural law principle that all cultures throughout time, really up until our culture now, like our Western culture now, has just recognized as just the way of things. Christianity is always going to be in line with the natural law on these things. Then there's the positive law, which is the 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 additional things that God has added on top of nature, things like um, worship on the first day of the week. Right. That's a that's a positive law that the Sabbath, the, the principle of Sabbath, that we should devote a, an appropriate portion of our time to the Lord. That's the Sabbath principle. One day in seven is what the moral law prescribes. Right. That's a that's a natural law that God is God is deserving of a portion of our time, a set portion of our time. That's the natural law that God is set apart on the seventh day or the sixth day or the, the seventh day in the old covenant and the first day in the new covenant, that's positive law. So there's these two different kinds of law. And this is where the paradox comes in, right? Is that Christians and Christianity will always be in accord with the natural law. And therefore culture, as it tends to reflect the natural law, Christianity will line up with that. So there's the paradox then that Christianity as is constrained by the moral law does not always line up with that. And so that that's kind of where I sit. Like we should look at things from that lens. We should see what is good in the culture, right? In, in Western culture, the principle of like personal liberty and personal freedom and the right to be bound by our conscience and not by 
external forces that are alien to us. Like that's a good natural law principle. Christianity affirms that. Like we're not bound to anything except the Lord. We're not bound to anything except what God has revealed in the scripture. That's a natural law principle. But then there's all sorts of things in Western law that may or may not line up with God's positive law at this point. So I think that's where I'm probably the the most closely aligned is that sort of fourth paradox, the Christian culture paradox, that there are some things, there are some things that Christianity is just in line with the culture on, and we should recognize those. And there are some things that Christianity is going to be kind of like opposed to in the culture, and we should also recognize those as well. You're right, I think, to emphasize this idea that like all Christians, no matter what culture you belong to, are kind of classic in some ways. So the question isn't, is there something in your culture of which you will clash against? It's just, what is that thing? And it will be different for different cultures. And as you said, my argument would be even these cultures that are quote unquote, like based on the Judeo-Christian worldview. And we might even argue whether there are such cultures that even exist in the world. You're going to find, I think, what we're overlapping into is this idea of common grace, that those cultures are borrowing, smuggling in for utility purposes, for productivity purposes, for purposes of the fact that there's something wholesome about them, the Judeo-Christian worldview. So the problem with this is that even though they might be doing the same things, like the ends might look altogether familiar with how you and I view things, the means are totally different. Yeah. And so it's just one thing to say like, well, we do these things and we hold these values because they help us out and society is better off. But the problem is, why do you hold them? If it's just for that purpose, then we've missed the boats altogether. And the Christian's going to say, no, 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 we do these things because this is who God is, because it reflects his character, because we worship and obey him, and because he's altogether good. And the, the other person who says the same things, and this is going back to like something like C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, who says, like, no, no, I do these things because I would want to be treated that way. Well, that's not the same thing. Even right. though we are doing the same thing, it is not the same thing. I think it's also helpful, like based on what you said, to like differentiate this idea of secularism versus secular. So like this idea that secularism is like a totally, that's a philosophical worldview. And the opposite of secular, that is like just the fact that there are things that we do in this world that of course always has spiritual dimensions, but that's how we live, work and play within like our own purposeful sphere, like the way in which we go to work and hang out with people. Like there's no threat to evangelicalism in that sense. Secularism though, is elevating things that are not to be elevated to such of like a high status, like including anthropology, you know, like making man autonomous, making him above God. That is secularism. That's the whole worldview. So the opposite of secular, or let me say it this way, the opposite of holy is not secular. The opposite of holy is profane. Yes. So it's partly understanding that, like you said, there are many, this is going to be a horrible word to use, but I think it's apropos. There are many parts of culture that are just like agnostic. You know, like kind of like you said, like the style of music theologically, agnostic. Yeah. I think the lyrical content absolutely can be holy or profane. Absolutely. Where you shop for groceries, probably for the most part, is just like a secular activity. You could bring secularism in by elevating the corporation or the principles of the corporation or transparency or, or and making anything into an idol would be to basically pull in a secularist type of worldview. But I think then this leads us into then a conversation about with everything you just said about, okay, so like there's a lot of things you just said that would apply perfectly and like adjacently to the season that's coming up. We've got like this weird mix, especially in the Western world. And I was just talking to a colleague who is not a believer recently about this, how, and she was sensitive to this, how like this time of year in this strange world where we're like, how dare you bring the mention of Jesus into any kind of casual conversation, yet let me sing joy to the world, or let me go ahead with, you know, kind of participating in, some kind of Christmas Eve service. And of course, we're talking again about this confusion of means and ends, but it's all like wrapped up in this jumble for the Christian of like, well, how do we navigate this and embrace these things in such a way where we're saying like, no, I'm doing these for the reasons that are part and parcel of my faith, which is it rooted in the way in which God tells us the truth about the world and how things are, including humanity and the need for a savior. While at the same time, in some way, I would say, and I'll say it this way, kind of putting everybody else on blast in the way that we ought to be with salt and light saying like, there is a conviction in what you're saying, that you can't just embrace these things for pure like sentimentality purposes, that there's more than this than just saying like, well, this is what we do this time of year because Bing Crosby sang it. It's okay to play it in Target 
Yeah. But you can't play any other music any other time of year that worships Christ. You know right. what I'm saying? Does yeah. that make sense? Am I getting at it? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think this topic, when I first, you know, started to propose this idea that we we explore some pop culture topics, I had in mind, like, our conversations about Ahsoka, <laughs> like Loki. <laughs> and I think, like, there's some value in that because I guess, like, where I want to go with that is, is you know, pop culture is popular culture, right? It's the things that are out there that people are consuming. It's the stories, it's the movies, it's the songs, all of that. It's not any one thing. But I think where the Christian needs to think carefully about, about pop, pop culture is how do we understand our relationship to that? And I guess where Niebauer's categories um, you know, Niebauer only had the three, right? Christ, the Christ of culture, the Christ against culture, and this Christ ab above culture. And when we think of Christ above culture, we should think more in terms of like Christ judging culture. It's not like right. Christ is, it, it's true that Christ is out, above and outside of culture, but Niebauer's categories really more have to do with like Christ is standing in judgment above culture. Right. To me, the Christian, whether it's Ahsoka, right? There are all sorts of really great, um, there's really great insight, common grace insights that are available in Ahsoka, which is just this silly Star Wars Disney Plus show, right? Or, or you could take that, you could take Ahsoka or Loki, right? There's themes of self-sacrifice and predestination and fate and the inevitability of in this case, you know, it's like this, this kind of gods, uh, not, and I'm not talking about Loki. Like there's this sort of like Supreme being that's governing all of time and all of Providence in Loki. He's called, right. he's called he who remains. There's this idea of like predestination and that can't be escaped. That's present in Loki. You can take all that or whether it's, you know, it's those kinds of things. While I'm looking at like the Percy Jackson books, like I love Percy Jackson books is these stupid, silly, Harry Potter knockoff kinds of books that have to do with Greek mythology or Bing Crosby singing white Christmas, right. Or pentatonics singing, Mary, did you know, right. All of these different things where they appropriate Christmas or Christian culture. Um, all of that, we have to look at through this cat, these categories that Christ is standing above those things, even when those things are, outwardly reflecting certain kinds of Christian principles, right? There are truths. The, the song, Mary, did you know, we can get into all of this, the silly arguments and it's November 18th. So they're about to flood your, your X timeline or Twitter timeline or whatever it's called these days. Um, all of the arguments about like, yes, Mary knew, no, Mary didn't. I don't care about any of that stuff. Right. Even those things, that song has some Christian truth embedded in it. Right. Or like a couple of years ago, we talked about that Consolation of Eve picture, right. right? This really famous picture that, again, you're about to start seeing everywhere and everyone is going to forget that it's just Roman Catholic mysticism. Um, even that, as much it is as it is just Roman Catholic mysticism, still has an element of Christian truth in it. That the birth of Christ, which is is coming through Mary by the providence of God and the inner working of the Holy Spirit, that that is Eve's consolation. Right. That if Mary and Eve were to be in the same place at the same time, Mary could point to her very pregnant, uh, very pregnant womb and use that to console Eve and to promise her that the serpent is going to be crushed under the foot of the church. Right. That's Romans. Right? That God is going to put ser the serpent, going to put the devil under our feet. Right. That is also to say that 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 image, all of that imagery, the, the Christmas music, Ahsoka, Loki, all of this stuff still needs to be judged and critiqued in light of what the Bible says, in light of what the truth actually is that the Lord has revealed through his written word, through his moral law. So I think maybe that this is, we, we tried hard. I think this probably will turn into like a series of discussions <laughs> because I think it's just, it, this is just what it means to be a Christian in the world these days. Right? Yeah. No matter what you, this is maybe, maybe we're going to lose listeners. I don't, I guess I don't care. One of my favorite shows to watch, people are going to just lose their minds when they hear this. One of my favorite shows to watch is The Bachelor. And this is, this okay. is a strange thing, but <laughs> yeah. The Bachelor is this weird cultural 
experiment, right? There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of non uncommendable things on a show like The Bachelor, for sure. But I'll tell you what, you show me one other television show right now that exists that unapologetically celebrates the binary reality of male and female and the desire to have a monogamous lifelong one man, one woman relationship. You show me any other show on TV that elevates that more than the bachelor. It doesn't exist. So like there are even in something that could be, and often is as weird and trashy and salacious as something like the bachelor there are still redemptive principles and redemptive things because people can't escape the nature of things. And this goes back to like what I was saying is like the two kingdoms view or the Christ and culture in paradox view, sort of like this fourth category that's been subdivided out of, out of the Christ above culture view is really just a statement that this is still God's world. And although it exists in corruption and rebellion against him, it's still God's world. And so there are, there's a mixture of truth and error that exists within any culture and, and, and any cultural artifact, whether it's a pop culture television show like Loki, like the bachelor, like, uh, like your favorite Hallmark movie or like your favorite Christmas. I won't say him, your favorite Christmas pop culture song, like white Christmas or whatever, or or Mariah Carey's song that we're all about to get blasted with at the department. Oh my all of those things have a necessary mixture of truth and error in them. And I think our role as Christians, as we interact with pop culture is to be discerning, right? That, that Hebrews passage to exercise, to grow in our powers of discernment by constant use. Right. That's what we're called to in reference to, to pop culture. I think. Yeah. I think in some ways what you're saying is like the first principles, the foundation is all God, all Christian all the time. Yes. And you can't run from that because God has made us. And so as much as we try to like, it, as in Ventures of Romans 1, like forsake and exchange truth for a lie, what we find is we keep coming back to these, these strange principles which we cannot escape. It is like the Death Star just continues to draw us in, which is things like, well, there's eternity in our hearts. Yeah. And there are ways that we wish we would behave and that everybody ought to behave towards us. There are principles about gender and marriage and responsibility and self-sacrifice that whether it is Harry Potter or Tron, we find that these principles as we see them played out either in fiction or in reality, that we're drawn to them, that we understand what it means to be loyal and to tell the truth. And somehow these get hegemony over everything else, such that we understand what tragedy is, we understand what sadness is. And by virtue of that, it means that we also understand what the converse is. But who decided that? Who put that into the heart such that we have this respect for, quote unquote, what is innocent, respect for human life? And again, everybody who tries to jettison that there is kind of objective truth, of course, by making that statement is communicating an objective truth. But beyond that, it's showing ignorance that they do not understand the ways of God. And if you do understand them, then it comes back to the thing that we talked about at the beginning, which is that is an act of regeneration in the heart that God has brought about. And it is an absolute miracle. So I'm with you. I think the challenge that we're kind of landing on is that as we move through culture, especially as we move through seasons of our culture, where perhaps there are places where the culture swings as the pendulum, as it were, a little bit closer to our worldviews, maybe if only in the ends, that we might try to bring in the means to explain why the ends are occurring. So as you talked about Hebrews, let me at least leave us with a Ephesians. This is Paul's words to that church. And I think this is often the passage that many go to, but that's because it's so good and it's right. So this is Ephesians 5, beginning verse 11. And I honestly, maybe we should have just said this and stopped the episode because I think it sums up everything we said, but far better and with fewer words. Paul says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is dispatient, but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in Psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord God, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to God, even the Father. So I think like this is this idea, of course, of Paul saying, so, some translation would say like redeem the time. We There are things in our culture we need to buy back. That is to yeah. retake. There, there is ground that has been given up because the first principles are still present there. But it's as if the enemy has come in and we've ceded some of the property that is rightfully ours, so to speak. What the principles are still there, the remaining. And so it's taking back the means of those things, conversing around those things, speaking into those things, giving testimony to why we do the things that we do, why the heart is inclined to sing about a savior, why there is in fact joy to the world, why there can be peace on earth and goodwill toward men who, to whom or from whom is that peace coming and where does it emanate? So these are all the questions that we fail to sometimes ask ourselves or maybe even ask our loved ones, our friends and family. But I think the challenge is the culture is all around you. And the question, like you said, is Christ stands above and beyond. He judges, he adjudicates. But part of that, he's also vouchsafed to us by way of his emissaries to ask those questions, to have those conversations, not like in a weird way. Don't be weird, loved ones. Uh, but in a way that's loving and kind, ask the questions, listen, have the conversations. So I'm I'm guessing, so I guess we are doing a series on this now. <laughs> I guess. I we, couldn't, we couldn't escape it. It's inescapable. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more to discuss, especially as we come into this season. Uh, sorry, all you covenanters, there there is a season and it is happening, and you can't. That's escape culture, it. right? Right, that's right. culture. Like whether you like it or not, there's a culture out right. there that you're and you're a part of it. Exactly, and, and we have to grapple with that. We have to reconcile with that. As much as we would like, this is sort of a misapplication. But like when Paul is saying like don't associate with the sexually immoral, and he says right. he says like I'm, I'm talking about those inside the church. Like if I wanted to talk about those outside the church, like you'd have to leave the world. And like <laughs> he says that in a way that's like, and that's obviously a ridiculous proposition. Like yeah, of course you can't disassociate with the people in the world. We all exist in a culture, and we have to grapple with and interact with that culture because we're a part of that culture. Like we might want to withdraw, we might want to go for the Benedict option, but even the Benedict option is still an it's still an engagement with culture. Right. So I I think you know we may not come back to this in like a real direct sense in future episodes, or maybe we will. Who knows? Nobody knows. Nobody. The Lord knows. I guess. I mean, not I guess. The Lord Strange knows. Flex on a teaser. Yeah. Uh, it's not a teaser. I don't even know what we're gonna do. So all of that said, just to just slam the transition directly into you. You can obviously, as Jesse indicated at the top of the show, you can email us at info at Reform Brotherhood if you have topic ideas, or you can join the Reform Brotherhood Telegram chat. You can go to t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. There is a thread, a new thread, as of a couple days ago, called Topic Requests. Maybe it's Topic Suggestions. I should have known this before I went there. Topic something or others. Uh, topic... This is great podcasting, folks. Topic ideas. And the way that this is going to work is if you have an idea for a show, if you'd like to suggest a topic, go in there, take a look at what people have already suggested. If something that you, something that's already been suggested is similar enough to your idea or to your request, your topic suggestion, give it a thumbs up. If not, then create a new comment. And what will happen is, um, you know, right now we don't have any idea what we're talking about next week or the week after that. Um, but what we'll do is we'll start looking through those topics. And as they start to accumulate thumbs up or if stuff starts to pique our interest, we will start to pull stuff out of that thread and out of through the, the email. Um, if we do a topic that is directly related to that, I'll put a little comment in there of the link to that so that way you can see the topic has already been done. That's going to be the best way to get your idea out in front. So you can go to t.me slash reform brotherhood and you can go to the topic ideas sub channel and put your idea there and you know it, it probably won't be too long before we pick like a formal topic a formal thread of some sort of formal uh series that we're going to do um just because that's that's the way the podcasts work best right it's it's best when we know a little bit of what we're talking about when there's some cohesiveness but we do want to have this time period where like things are a little up in the air because that's also good for us to, to explore topics that we might not otherwise explore. 
So go to t.me slash Reformed Brotherhood and put a topic suggestion in or thumbs up a topic that you would like to see talked about on the show. You can email us and we're going to look through those as well. But the Telegram chat really is the best place to go to do a topic suggestion. And while we're on the the uh, the issue of supporting the show, you can also go to patreon.com slash Reformed Brotherhood. Most of what we do uh, is got some sort of cost associated with it. Right, we have to ha- we have to have microphones. We have to have uh, bandwidth from our podcast hosting. We have to have a website. We have to have all sorts of things that allow us to do the show, and those have costs associated with us. So there's already a great group of people who support the show, who enable us to do that without having to sell you mattresses and razor blades. And apparently, the new thing is like online therapy. Um, yeah. If you need online therapy, I I don't know whether BetterHelp is any good or not. Uh, and we're not gonna we're not gonna try to convince you that it is or isn't. Uh, and even if you go subscribe to it, we're not gonna get a kickback on it. And the reason we don't have to get involved in all of that kind of silliness <laughs> is because there is a group of people who support the show financially and make it possible for us to pay the bills without uh, shilling out to corporate sponsors. So right. if you want to be a part of that group that helps us do this without a lot of advertisements, then you can go to reformbrotherhood.com. Uh, sorry, I do this every single time. Oh. I need to just make a switch oh. on the website. You can go to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood uh, and you can supply any amount that you're able to, right? There's no tiers. There's no special perks. Every once in a while, we might send out a special gift to those who are supporting the show. But you're not going to get ad-free shows. You're not going to get special content. Um, we've committed that everything we produce is available free of charge, but we can right. only do that because people support us and help us make the show possible. That's for sure. Here's what we have in common with National Public Radio. It's listener supported. <laughs> so whatever you hear is because somebody has said, you know what, I want to come alongside and make sure that it remains free of charge for everybody. Just there. So thank you to everybody who prays for our conversations, who just prays for the group who is involved in the Telegram chat. And by the way, Telegram chat is a pretty fun place to be. And I love, I just looked it up while you were talking. I didn't even know there was like a new channel now that's like just topic ideas. Here's, by the way, real quick, here's how you know loved ones if you have a good topic idea. A couple of things. One, it's brief and easy to communicate. If you've got a brief idea and it's easy to communicate, that, that's a, what the first mark that probably I was going to be interested in. And then second, if you find that you think it resonates with others, that's also a great topic idea. That it's not just you. If it's super weird and esoteric, probably not a great topic idea. But... <laughs> You can drop it in there, but if it's a little bit weird, it might just be you. And I say that with great deference. So you get special dispensation if you want to drop it in there, but I would say it might not be the kind of thing that Tony and I talk about. However, good for you for being a a deep thinker. So Tony, I think it's been great. This is going back to our roots in many ways where we started every week by saying, let's talk about theology. Let's talk about how good God is. Let's talk about his saving work in Jesus Christ and the way the Holy Spirit has applied it to our lives. And in some ways, like it's not like our great and grand series on theology was different than that. It was all those things. But this has brought us back to those roots of saying like, let's just see where the conversation goes. And just like the common grace principles you already spoke about, it always comes back to Jesus as it ought to. So here we are in another episode. And of course, that leads us to the very place where AI thinks we're going to go. And in this case, it's right. That place is honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.